Awesome date. Sometime in the future. In 2013, not 2014, definitely in 2013. Awesome topic. I hate the word fate. Births, encounters, partings, success and failure, fortune, and misfortunes in podcasting. If our pods are already set in audio stone by fate, then why are we even casting? There are those casted to huge audiences, those casted to beautiful acclaim, and those casted into the middle of chainsaws or Florida. If that is all caused by fate, then God is an incredibly unfair and cruel. Because ever since that day, none of us had a future. And the only certain thing was we wouldn't amount to anything except awesomeness. Because we are the awesome cast. Welcome back to the Awesome Cast, your pan that's us. And Penguins 1, 2, and 3. Well, oh, we're also getting some side help out from Eowyn, Gwendolyn, and Bruce, who are a, two cats and a dog, respectively. Trying and, to get them away would be more of a problem than just letting them hang out, so... So hang out they shall. So if you hear random noises and rattlings in the background, it's cool. They got this. Or we'll turn into an episode of Cat Fancy. Whatever. It's been a while since we've recorded an actual episode. Doug has gotten married. Yeah, yeah, I did. So great, Ren Fair, beautiful service. It was fantastic. There were rainbows everywhere. Everybody was confused. Kevin also got married. No it way. was a wonderful, <laughs> quaint little ceremony to the third elevator on the right at A.D. Boy's Waverly Hotel. He said, I do. She said, fourth floor. It was a moment to remember Yes. And thank God he did not get arrested for the honeymoon. <laughs> is it even legal to marry an animal just in the state? No, but Georgia is somewhat... Uh... Huh. <laughs> but it didn't work out. She wanted to see other elevators. Oh, well, that only makes sense, being an elevator and all. <laughs> now the third one from the left, I think, was making some eyes. But that's either here nor here, no there. As always, you can find us at awesomecast.com, O-S-M-C-A-S-T. You find the index of awesome of all the previous episodes that updated mostly correctly and then the ones that actually showed up last year. And the ones that we've put out this year that were from last year. But that's okay. We're back. We're back. And it better than ever. Yes, hopefully. Yes, hopefully. Guarantee you this will show up in the year that it was recorded. Hopefully not December. Really raising the bar there, Basil. Really raising the bar. I am really raising the bar. Awesome cast. Providing podcasts in the same year they were recorded in. That is our new vow. Unless we record one like December 31st or something. That's probably going up next year. But (laughs) No, Kevin, I'm holding you to that. You've made that vow. You've got to stick to that vow. You've got to make sure it happens. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We record on December 31st. You better see to it that it goes up before 2014. Now, that would probably then have to be, like, during, like, at a party, probably like a New Year's Eve party. Yes. Which means that the level of inebriation that we might be having could vary. So that could be a very interesting or boring podcast, depending on how 
the alcohol levels are flowing at that time. You're actually yes. making me want to go get a beer right now. Well, there you go. But beer is awesome. And other things are awesome. Like moments of awesome. I don't know. You stole my moment of awesome. <laughs> I did. I totally took your thunder. All right, Kevin. You have a chance for thunder. Now it just doesn't even seem worth it. No, no, go for it, Kevin. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, Have your moment okay, back. Okay. Do, do your little song that makes you feel okay. better. It's a moment of awesome. <laughs> Good job. It's my one thing. <laughs> and he's very proud of his thing. Okay, so okay. We gotta let okay. him have his thing. Okay, he gets his thing. It's fraud his thing. What would he be left? Well, now that you've had your thing, Kevin, tell us your moment of awesome. Actually, okay, well, the easiest one, and it's mostly, almost entirely a moment of awesome, exclusively aimed at me, but uh, the new Super Robot Wars game, Super Robot Wars UX, came out in Japan a couple weeks back. Well, I don't know. Depending on when this goes up, could be three, could be four, I don't know. Uh, the Why it's just pretty much just for me is it's a 3DS game, so you need a Japanese 3DS. Because region locking. And not a lot of people have Japanese 3DSs. Are they still doing region locking? Yes. Why? I'm actually surprised no one's found out a way around it. But it's mostly economy, reverse importing. It's cheaper to buy things from America and ship it to Japan. Um, it, it just staggers me that they still do this. Because the only people that they, that they ever seem to really be hurting with region locking is are themselves. Yes. Although, on the plus side, I've discovered you can use an American credit card on the Japanese Nintendo eStore, and you cannot on the Japanese PlayStation Store. Interesting. Because I've already bought a few downloadable bonus maps, and that's cool. <laughs> uh, so, the game is... Well, you know, Super Robot Wars is your turn-based, different turn-based strategy uh, RPG of giant robots from various animes beating the crap out of the villains from very, the same various animes. And it's all good, clean fun. Um, this one stands out for having both Demon Bane and Hero Man, as well as Mazen Kaiser Skull, all first-time appearances. Um, it's fun. I don't know. If you've never played a Super Hot Wars game, probably not the one to start on, because you'll have to buy yourself a Japanese 3DS. But <laughs> So tell them also all about your crazy expensive... 3DS you imported from Japan because you couldn't just grab no, any old 3DS. And admittedly, it's been a uh, it's been a while since I got it. But yes, I've got the Sharaz Novel Custom oh my God. Red Japanese 3DS. That's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was close to four hundred dollars. <laughs> Mind you, it came with a game and it's a limited edition, and it was totally an impulse purchase that was probably ill considered because hmm. I had been just thinking about buying a vanilla Japanese 3DS. And then these things were sold out, and apparently Play Asia had noticed I was looking at it, or maybe I'd actually told them to alert me if they got more in. I don't remember, but I got a little "We've gotten it back in" email, and I'm like, "Where's my credit card? <laughs> Take all my money!" <laughs> but uh, and I've gotten all of three games for it. One came with it. One was Project Cross Zone, which is coming out in the U.S. apparently. And the other one was Super Robot Wars UX, which is a safe bet will probably not come out in the U.S. Yes. But uh, it's fun. Um, but, I don't know, turn-based robot-on-robot violence. Pretty good animation. Very solid 3D, actually. Um, and it's fun. You get, uh, got your Gundam 00 movies, your Fafner. Um, 
which is getting a new season in the near future. But uh, wait, really? Fafner yes. is getting a new season. Fafner is getting a new season. Really, Fafner. Fafner. <laughs> like the dragon from Norse mythology, who used to be a giant, who then became a dragon. Fafner. Then was killed by a hero guy with a sword. That has nothing to do with the anime, which is about robots fighting sentient clay with psychic powers. But, uh, but yes, they made a movie like um, almost ten years back, maybe. And the TV series was like a few years before. No, the movie was a couple years ago, but it was ten years after the TV series ended. Oh. And they're apparently making a new series. It's really weird to think that Fafnir is that old. Why do you keep calling it Fafnir? Because, I know you're doing it on purpose at this point. Because at this point, that's when whenever I saw the anime, like being the name out anywhere, uh-huh. my brain just went to Fatner. Yes. Okay. Like it has it never, um, never once left. It's actually not a bad anime. It was created by a uh, Toe Ubakawa who did uh, Mardok Scramble, and uh, okay. and Heroic Age. I, this is the character designs. Yeah, it's got Hirai face. Seriously, it's the Gundam Seed character designer. If you're thoroughly sick of his character designs and Heck, even I kind of am, and I like some of the shows he did. Um, <laughs> it's maybe not something to pick up, but I have so rambled off my original subject, but that's okay. <laughs> I think we're having fun here. Yeah, uh, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I'd like to talk in two sections on my moment of awesome. The second section, I would like to be, you know, kind of the three anime that I am really enjoying this season, and we may do podcasts, and we may podcast about them in the future. And the other thing I would really like to talk about in my moment of awesome is home improvement projects <laughs> in which case i may just be about to deliver you an unsolicited advertisement for lowe's <laughs> here's the story so barry and i own a house and our house was built right at the height of the housing bubble barry actually purchased it right at the height of the housing bubble and so here we are, eight years later, and we're we're finally getting around to painting some of the rooms and making them ours. Um, and one of the things that we noticed as we were doing these small home repair projects is that the floorboards around our door were starting to, around our back door, were starting to rot. And when we moved into the house, they had already replaced the floorboards right around the back door, so... And we could tell that based off how the floorboards have faded, that there's clearly, like, new floorboards and then old faded floorboards. So the fact that they were rotting again showed us that there was a problem. And we weren't really sure what the problem was, so we started looking at our back door. And we realized that the actual door frame itself was beginning to rot, and we had to take it all out. And as we were doing it, it slowly became a... just an amazing feat of, oh my god, the people building our house did not care about what they were building at all. We live on a slab house, and we were mortified to discover that without any interruption whatsoever, there was the slab that, the concrete slab that our house is sitting on, which they apparently just glued the hardwood floor directly onto rather than what you're supposed to do with hardwood flooring, and then was just the door frame, and then you walk straight out onto our patio. And it should have occurred to me, because we've lived in this house for a while, and we've always just walked out from our house, you know, straight on the floorboards, no step down or anything, right out onto the patio. 
but it never occurred to me. So we figured out that was our water problem, and we went to Lowe's. And after about 30 trips later, we have completed fixing that back wall. Uh, <laughs> the window treatments all came from Lowe's. I hand, I hand sewed them uh, to fit. The curtain rods all came from Lowe's. We re-sewed them to fit. Also, people building the house did not care about the windows. Those have been not replaced, but removed, then reinserted correctly, this time with the correct like sealing procedures done. Uh, all thanks to the Lowe's people telling us how to do it. Uh, we pulled up the, the, we put up, pulled up all the rotten wood, uh, and rather than put down more wood, we, more, we put down, we put down tiles, uh, specifically tiles that are not water susceptible so that they will repel the water, and put in a grout that also is known to repel water, and in addition to engraving a groove along the back patio so that water will not come up against our house, and we installed a door, which is very... We bought a whole new door from Lowe's, installed it. This one's fi uh, a combination of steel and fiberglass and plastic, so no chance of it rotting ever. We painted the wall. It looks gorgeous now, but God, did it take some effort. Oh, we had to buy, like, two different power tools while we were working on this, like a handsaw and uh, a hand rotary saw and... Uh, we found out that the Dremel, as wonderful as it is, just is not built to ha handle heavy-duty work like that. Uh, I went to the lumber yard and have just randomly constructed two workbench tables for all the things that we had to do. I've been busy. <laughs> I've been busy, yeah. I say, with a very weary expression on my face. <laughs> it does look really good, though. Yeah. It does look really good. But we did it all. You know, with absolutely no how except for asking the Lowe's people, what do we do now? And fortunately, we were able to do it. Now, moving on from that <laughs> to the anime that I'm watching this season. The first one I want to talk about is... Which one should I talk about first? I'm going to talk about From the New World. I'm really enjoying it. The premise is kind of, you know... Human beings develop psychic powers. Now let's cut to a thousand years later and see how society had to evolve and adapt to people being psychic for real. It's a little bit. It's a little bit darker. Well, not darker than you would expect. It is dark. It's about as dark as you would expect and anticipate. Um, the show does this really good job of in the introductory episodes. It it starts raising up all. It starts presenting things, and then it presents more issues to make you suddenly nervous about the things that were introduced to you earlier. And then, but as the characters grow older, they then understand the reasons for why those things are in place, and it really just really a good anime, and is actually pretty good at studying that. Uh, second anime that. I'm really enjoying is uh, Problem Children Are Coming From Another World, an anime that follows the trend of having a giant long title, when really it's something very simple. Like, I don't think this will be go down in history as like the greatest anime ever, but it is a fun, it is a fun uh, fantasy adventure type anime. Uh, 
I think a lot of people are gonna they're gonna watch the first episode and then they'll write the entire anime off because it's very anime shtick. It follows a lot of the anime tropes, you know, just very whole cloth, and you almost go, "Man, this is an anime paint by number." But the more you watch it, the more you realize the more you watch it, the more you realize that it's actually kind of self aware of that, and so it's more. It's not necessarily inverting any tropes as much as it is just flat out playing with them. You know, recognizing that it is what it is and attempting to be entertaining in the process. And I think it's funny and exciting and I like it. And the third one I want to talk about as being awesome is Mayoyu. At least I think that's the correct pronunciation. M-A-O-Y-U. Oh, that's like the Mao Yusha something something. Yeah. Yes, it's Spice and Wolf meets Dragon Quest. Yes, that's that's pretty much what it is. None of the characters actually have names. The main character is just known as the hero or the demon king, depending on who you consider to be the main character, the guy or the girl. The demon king is the girl, by the way. Um, And as Basil said, it's a lot like Spice and Wolf, but I have to tell you, between... um, between me actually reading all of the Higurashi manga and now watching this anime, I am really starting to, like even in my role playing, you've seen, you've seen some of this turn where I'm really starting to lean towards the, hey, let's not solve everything by just raising a sword and hitting at it until it until the problem goes away. Let's try to actually find the st- systemic problem and fix it. Because that is more or less what this anime is all about, and it covers that in the first episode. The, the first episode is the Demon King c- trying to convince the hero to co- join her in this plan of she doesn't want any more war between humans and demons. She wants to solve the systemic problem that causes the fighting between them, and she really would like the hero's help in doing this. And it goes on from there, and it's it's really awesome. Looks interesting. I just haven't had time to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it, and then I at some point I just lost interest. I don't even know why. I had some I just stopped kept keeping up with it, and I just stopped. I I honestly I well, and they're not really anything alike, but it was kind of like right after I finished watching Sword Art Online, I had no energy to watch that show. Well, it's one uh, of those shows that you need to pay. Not necessarily f- complete, absolute, undivided attention to it, but you need to pay a pretty, like, substantial amount of attention to it while you're watching it. And it's also, at the same time, a little bit slow-paced. Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing that can be... You can say the same thing for Spice and Wolf, like, making the... It's like Spice and Wolf meets Dragon Quest is a s- super serious comparison of it. So you kind of just have to be prepared to watch something like that. But if you are prepared to watch something like that, I think it's really good. Just be careful. The budget was not kind to it. Like, it really... Like, there's really... The animation can be really choppy at times. Yeah, but it's mostly them sitting around talking, so... (laughs) And it's still kind of choppy. Oh, okay. Okay. Also, there's a really big reliance on using CG everywhere. Is there? I hadn't noticed. Yeah, well, uh, you'll, you really notice it's, it's very um, almost gun Ketsuo, where they, they do a lot of the background. Oh, they, there's, there's a lot of CG overlay. Yeah, where they anime. They do do that, don't they? Overlay yeah, it. Yeah, they do. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. I see what you're talking about. But tree frogs. Well, Basil's raining my on my awesome, but I still say it's a it presents a great cerebral thought process. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that that whoever is making it. 
they were not given the proper budget to really do it justice. That's uh, okay. I like the first season of Horizon on the Middle of Nowhere. No one else liked that, so... <laughs> <laughs> like, again, and I'm not saying I had a good reason for dropping this show. I just... At some point, I think I went somewhere and came back, and yeah. I missed an episode, and I just never went back to to Which catch up on it. Which is interesting, because you're actually the one who turned me on to it. Yes. But then again, you're the one that turned me on to Chiafaru, so... Well, yes, but I took one look at that and said, This is not up my alley. It looks like something that's up Basil's alley. And showed it to you. <laughs> Which I am sure I'll talk about at some point, as Chihayafaru is like one of my favorite animes ever at this point. <laughs> but the one I want to talk about is something that has tons of budget. And I didn't think... I was putting off watching it for forever... Because just the basic idea of it, I thought, sounded dumb. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about a little bit about AKB0048. Which, the premise is, AKB48, you know, the super popular Japanese idol group um, that hangs around Akihabara and sets all the otaku's hearts aflutter, mm-hmm. got an anime based around them. And I went, well, that sounds dumb. <laughs> They're like... And then Kevin's like, but Basil, you should watch it. And I'm like, it's just Soji Kawamori doing Idol Singers. It's 1984 meets Flashdance as a space opera. <laughs> like, and well then you told me, but yes, but it's Idol Singers, but done by Soji Kawamori. Yes. <laughs> and then Eddie Bo, Daryl and Gerald were like, hey guys, you should watch this. It's Idol Singers, but Soji Kawamori's doing it, and he's doing his crazy Soji Kawamori thing, and it's working. And so I then went, all right, fine. Credit roll is the second season, but I probably should watch the first season. So I obtained the first season. Eh. Through means. Yes. <laughs> means and, I, and ways. And I watched it, and yes, it is Idol Singers in space. That, you know, it was, it is the logical movement from Macross to something that's not Macross. But it still is pretty much Macross. <laughs> yeah. It is this strange fight where it's a, it's a, it's in a galaxy where entertainment by and large is outlawed. There is no fun. Only work. You're not allowed to have fun. And there is this rogue outfit of idol singers that are that inherit the souls of the old AKB48 who are now freedom fighters. Who are fighting soldiers in guerrilla warfare while also throwing on concerts at the same time. I love you, Japan. It's It's possibly stranger than it sounds. (laughs) And yet it still does a pretty good job of explaining who the AKB-48 are and what what it's kind of like to be an idol. I'm going to say they actually make it look like it's a hell of a lot of hard work, and it is. (laughs) And... My only real issue is they, they really do a nice sugarcoating over how crappy the whole system really is in Japan. Yeah. 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 Where, you know, where this, how they, the social stigmas attached to being an idol and what you can or cannot do is really bunk. And this anime just totally ignores because whatever, this is fantasy. You deal need with it. to see the next to last episode, which you haven't caught on Crunchyroll yet. Oh, really? You do. Really? Yes. All right. Well. <laughs> I'm sure at some point we'll talk more about this later. They, uh, Shoji Kawamori is a little bit aware, at least. So, it's, uh... Well, I knew that much, um, and to go into the, I think that, 
would be a little bit... A little spoilery, A little spoilery. But there is a character he had introduced that I realized, hey, that name is is the same name they use with the girl who recently had a lot of controversy. And then I think he made use of that very well, at least for one I've seen so far. Yeah. And I won't go in further into details until... We eventually, you know, it's do it. finished. I'd like to do a podcast on it at some point. Maybe. I am sure we can find someone else to fill the yeah. third chair. As right now, it's really hard to get Doug to watch it because the first half is only fan subs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't particularly like sitting at my computer at the moment. So if it doesn't come through one of my consoles or my Roku that is actually Basil's Roku, I don't really get a hold of it. Which, frankly, is great because... We should be watching fan subs to begin with, but, you know. Well, yeah, we've had this conversation before. Yes. You know. Sometimes, well, sometimes you can only get the fan subs. Of course, I'm actually watching fan subs of the second season, so. Well, there uh, was a long time when I was watching fan subs, and. Because it's an episode ahead. <laughs> my biggest defense for why I was watching fan subs, even though I knew it was killing the industry to watch fan subs, was because, seriously, the fan subs were giving me a better product. They were giving it to, they were giving me something on a format that was easier to watch than an expensive mm-hmm. DVD. Yeah. They were showing it to me like days after like it aired in Japan. But we now have Crunchyroll does Crunchyroll does that. There's also Funimation, uh, Funimation's and, yeah. service that does that. We now have legitimate services that do that. Yeah, and I, I do watch. I am shifting towards more and more streaming if it's available that way. Well, it's sort of mm-hmm. like the same theory that iTunes was fa- iTunes was founded on where you know people were stealing music under Napster or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but p- the reason, the whole reason people were doing that was because it was so much more convenient than a CD. And so when they were presented with a legitimate means to obtain it, they did. Because people yeah. don't people don't really. There are very few people who actually enjoy stealing. Most people do it because it is the bet. Most people do. Like uh, the fan subbings, which is a very mild form of piracy, because they have no other option. There is no better way. Um, there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, in my opinion, I think that's what's going on. What's sad is that a lot of kids are now doing nowadays, instead of. They don't even download the fan subs, they'll go to, like, I think it's like Anime Craze or something, or the other, other websites yeah. that are pirating streaming websites. Yeah, there's a couple oh. of groups who just pretty much exist to pirate, like, the Crunchyroll subs. Uh, oh, no, I mean, these are websites people are streaming, but they're streaming fan subs. Well... Like, they'll take someone's fan subs, they'll, they'll take, like, GG's or someone else's oh, fan yeah. subs, put them on this, and then kids will stream them. Like, I know people who watched 0040, uh, 0048 by going to this website and streaming it. Because their computer couldn't run a fan sub, but it could run the stream. Huh, okay. Well. And those are like, those are really get up my crawl because those those websites are making money off ad revenue. Yeah. Like fan subbers at the very least, they're not really making any money off of it. They're just no, putting they're, it they're, out. No, they're, 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 yeah, they're committing not, a labor of love is what they're doing. They're not really doing. in it. They're not in it for money. And I've seen a lot of people say, well, I've got a real life, so I gotta, I gotta stop doing this now. Uh, yeah. But these websites, they're taking a, they're taking the fan subbers' efforts, yes, and the creators' efforts, uh-huh. and are making money off both of them when they should, when they shouldn't be. And that, that is a problem, and that bugs me. That yeah. bugs me a lot. Yeah. 
But I, I am very fond of like crunchy. I'm getting very fond of Crunchyroll, especially because for cheap and easy. I mean, for a nominal fee, you don't even get commercials. You know, it's uh, yeah. It, it very much in ways of it's very much sort of almost at least for subtitle anime, almost the Netflix yeah mm-hmm. of anime because well, Netflix Netflix has a lot of anime. None of it subtitled. That is not true. <laughs> almost none of it. Like, there are, in fact, some anime on Netflix that you can go into the settings and you can change it so that it has, it is in Japanese language with English subtitles. I can't find anything that's not just in English. Well, a bunch of them are just in English, but a bunch of them are just in English, but they've started incorporating ones that have subtitles. Maybe it's just nothing I want to watch. That could be it. And honestly, if you want, like, more of a back catalog, Funimation's really good. Yeah. Where pretty much everything Funimation owns, you can stream it. Yeah. Like, both in a dub or sub format. Like, the only problem is, is that Funimation's web player is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. Um, The Roku one barely works when it works at all. The Uh website barely works when it works at all. And they don't even have any form of PS3 or Xbox integration. Uh Which is how a lot of people stream their stuff nowadays is through their consoles. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, though, uh, Funimation put out Aquarion, and everyone should watch that. Oh! Uh, (laughs) Yeah, is it too early to mention? Have you noticed that? Uh, have you noticed that Soul Eater is in fact on Cartoon Network? Yeah, it's on Toonami. Yeah, I'm real excited about that. I, I, I thought that it belonged there; that it was yeah. a show that people needed to see, and I'm, I'm very excited. Pretty sure that last year when we did our Toonami roundtable and Toonami was first starting up, we yeah. mentioned that Soul Eater is one of the ones that should be on Toonami. We did, and it is, and hopefully, actually, by the time. People listen to this episode, they actually would have listened to that episode too. Yay! Yay. So, but ironically, the show we're about to talk about, we all first watched by way of fan subs. Yes, because this yeah. was one that, yeah. Was one that was didn't get picked up for streaming. Nope. Well, and it makes sense that it didn't, Like, but we'll talk about that more once you tell people what it is. Well, it's Penguin Drum. Ta-da! You mean Mawaru Penguin Drum? Yes, Mawaru Penguin Drum. <laughs> That's not what it says on the Blu-ray. On the Blu-ray, it only says Penguin Drum. Well, the actual name of the anime is Mawaru Penguin Drum. Sure, cue the music.
So there's this guy. His name is Kunihiko Ikuhara. And he is an interesting dude. <laughs> he won- He got his real start, his, his famous start, being an episode director of Sailor Moon, taking over from Junichi Saito, mm-hmm. who went on to do Theft Flight Magic Users Club and mm-hmm. um, Princess Tutu. Yeah, who's so, he's no slouch either, but... Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, he, then Ikahara took over for Sailor Moon, directed Sailor Moon R, uh, season two through season four. Oh. And after season two, season four, as well as the first movie, Sailor Moon R, he then left, formed his own group uh, called Bay Papas to make a show called Utena. Revolutionary Girl Utena. One of, my, one of our most favorite things ever. Yes. We, we have previously reviewed, you can check out the Index of Awesome of the Utena movie. Adolescence of Atena to see how much we really, really enjoyed it. And then after that, which was like 1996, 1997, mm-hmm. he didn't actually direct another TV show until 2011. He was quiet for a while. He was thinking. He he was thinking and plotting. He did the animation direction for the opening of Oihana, and I don't know if he did anything else. He also did the first... Uh, Opening sequences of uh, Nodame Katabale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He also he also did um, Shell Bullet, which is a novel series, which was a novel. Oh yeah, with Mamoru Nagano. And he also worked on another manga um, called The World Exists for Me with uh, uh, Chi, uh, Chihio Saito, who the mm. author who was, of the Utena manga, or yeah. the artist, right adapter really, because Bay Papas kind of made the whole world, and she was one of the members, but but. He, he he didn't do any real anime work, aside from those two opening bits, until Penguin Drum. Penguin yeah. Drum. And he teamed up with Brainspace, who's known for doing real animation. And finally, and so his new anime was, you know, when Penguin Drum was uh, Penguin Drum was being made, it was was about to be created and released. The world had way high hopes for this because Utena is a landmark series. Yes, if you're in, if you're into, if you are interested in anime as more than just like what's being produced right now, if you actually do are interested in going back and looking at what were the cultural, what what were the cultural big big numbers? You know, what were the what were the anime that affected other anime that later got produced? Utena is one of the ones that's definitely worth mentioning. In fact, you're really in luck because Right Stuff now has all three DVD sets for all three seasons, and the third one set also includes the movie. Gorgeous, well, gorgeously remastered, well-packaged, excellent presentation, good liner notes. There's no reason not to buy it. And there's a good chance that eventually more Utena will be covered by us in the future. But what we're talking about now is Penguin Jump. And what I was really getting at was Penguin Jump, people had super high hopes. And I feel that for the most part, Penguin Jump meets them. Yes. As long as you had the right hopes, anyway. I guess, yes. Well, if you're wanting, like, you know, a new anime, well, all I really wanted out of Penguin Jump was a brand new story that Ikahara was able to help craft and use his neat directorial techniques to bring the story about one of the things that he did one of the things that he does that i really like is as far as storytellers go and i'm using the 
super hipster term storyteller here because I'm trying to encompass all forms of media when I say this, but one of the things he does as a storyteller really well is he really uses symbolic imagery in order to tell his story, and he uses it in order to tell multiple stories or to tell a story with multiple levels at the same time as as telling... You know, the characters will be telling one story with their narrative, while the images going on are depicting another story, uh, another story with the actual things that are appearing on screen. All of which are symbolic, both of which are symbolic of combined together the uh, third story, which is something that he just does really, really well. It's one of the things I really loved uh, about the movie Adolescence of Utena, and it's one of the things I was looking for when he did Penguin Drum, and... Oh boy, did it deliver. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Penguin Drum, it is a really hard anime to explain at first and possibly even second blush. Because you can't really, I can't really tell you what genre it is. Because unlike most anime, which is based off either manga or light novels, um, Penguin Drum is purely anime. They made a manga later. But the it, like Utena, it was designed with anime in mind. But unlike Utena, there's no clear, usual peg hole I could plug this into. I can't tell you that it's Shonen or Shoujo or or anything. It's it's more because it, it's really more of a mystery or a thriller, like drama thing. Like it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's it's a I can't really it's a mishmash of genres. And that you could plug it under, under under a few different holes. Yeah, and what it superficially is about is in no way what the anime is actually about. Well, the anime, it's one of those things, I know a lot of people like uh, Barry, for example, had to stop watching it because he was really enchanted with the first, the first couple of episodes up until like I think episode 9 was about when he dropped out because I mean, 9 is kind of about when the series starts to get real... A little bit heavier-handed with yeah. some of its deeper meanings. You don't and get it's, as much. It's deeper antics. symbology. Yeah. But like we just, in preparation for tonight's podcast, we just watched the first two episodes, and I was sitting there rewatching these episodes, really going to myself, "Man, it's really incredible to remember that when the first time I was watching this, I had no idea how crazy it was going to get because it starts out almost like your stereotypical magical girl shonen show." Well, Magical Girl Show, only it's a trip. It's a trio of characters with a, a two brothers and a sister, and the sister has a magical transfer has a magical transformation where she they go into like this weird crystal time, and she wears the penguin hat and makes where she's like the crystal princess, and she comes down and tells these boys gives them orders on what they are to do. For um, a minute, for a little bit, it's very dominatrix Sailor Moon. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, uh, as Basil pointed out, uh, the animation for her D transformation is—it's the same imagery as for tr- Sailor Moon's transformation scene. In fact, it's actually done specifically in reverse order of what Sailor Moon's transformation was. Yeah. Like okay, so let's start at the beginning. You've got these three siblings, the. Takakuras. You've got Kamba, Shoma, and Himari. 
Kamba and Shoma are twins. Himari is their younger sister. Kamba is a slightly older of the two brothers. He's sort he's the more burly esque more experienced. I brother. wouldn't say he's burly. He's more worldly and he uh he's good with the ladies. Yes, that is true. And he does seem a little bit more athletic. Yeah. Well yeah. burly might not be the right word. Athletic fits. Because yeah. he's taller and he's taller but just as skinny. <laughs> yeah, he can summon roses and sparkles at will. <sighs> Well, yeah, because he's a ladies' man. He, yeah. he knows his way around the ladies. Yeah. Possibly too well. Possibly. And then you have Very Shoma, likely. who is the, the innocent of the of the three. Well, Himari's also pretty innocent, but Shoma is like... He, he, he's the pure-hearted boy. He gets into... He gets into situations where, like, a Gangro girl comes up and accuses him of, you know, feeling her up when he did no such thing. But he just he seems just, to dig himself in deeper no matter what he And he just doesn't know, know how to get out of that because he's so true of heart that he doesn't even know how to handle like being accused of doing something wrong. And he's, he's definitely the more awkward one. Yes. And then Himari is the sweet, loving sister that, you know, is sort of the linchpin of the three. Yeah. Well, you can argue that Shoma is the main character of the series, but... I don't know that he... Well, I can kind of see that. I don't know if he appreciably gets more screen time than his brother. Although, Himari seems to kind of fade into the background in some episodes. Well, it, she comes in and out. Really, yeah. Shoma feels sort of like the main character. Mostly because Kamba keeps forcing him into it. Yeah. yeah. Like, and if he's the main character, he's the main character against his will. Yeah, yes. certainly for... Well, we'll probably eventually talk about spoilers, but certainly near the end of the show, it turns Shoma seems more like the protagonist. Well, he he is like a, of all of them, he's kind of the character that connects everything together. He's sort of like the continuous thread that runs throughout all of it. He's somehow bumping into everyone else's stuff. Yeah, so e- even if he, you know, doesn't really have any ulterior motives or any grand scheme, he's still the commonality that seems to keep cropping up. Uh, but, but Himari is, she, yeah. she's, she's so sweet, she's like the perfect little sister, it, you know, even down, well, I guess, except for, or even down to, the fact that she's, at the beginning of the series, at the very beginning of the first episode, dying of a terrible illness that the doctors cannot cure. She's apparently too good for this cursed earth. Yes. <laughs> I think that she's suffering from some sort of brain tumor, largely because whenever they go in to talk to the doctors, there's always there's always these images of like brain function pictures, like all these MRI pictures of the brain up on up on the the board for display, but they never actually say yes, what it is. They never really elaborate, but but yeah. So you've got the three siblings. Himari is dying from some mysterious illness. They're coming to terms with it, and they decide to go visit an aquarium, and it's fun, and they get this hat, and the souvenir shop. Their parents are no are noticeably nowhere in the picture. It's not like a lot of anime where they gloss over, they just gloss over the parents. Um, it is sort of referenced when they're talking about how sick Himari is, that they the three of them don't have any parents, and that they're sort of dependent on their uncle to send them money. But, again. And then, so while they're at the aquarium, Himari passes out. They get her to the hospital. She passes on. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. Then the penguin 
penguin hat for some reason it's on her she sits back up starts cursing them out <sighs> and they're everyone's confused but happy and then as they get home they get a package that's freeze dried yes it contains three penguins we you can't see this through our podcast but basil actually brought little stuffed animal representations of the three penguins that they receive. You know, it's it's actually kind of interesting because they go and they look at the penguins at the aquarium. And, and they're super realistic. Yeah, they're they're yeah, very they, they, real-looking penguins. They, the art team obviously wanted to demonstrate that they actually know how to draw penguins before they sent these very cartoony penguins that are then there for the rest yeah, of the series. Very cutesy, super cartoony, like big round blue. <laughs> yeah, but there's... Three, they, they get a package of three uh, super cartoony penguins uh, that evidently, the three of them, there, there's two boy penguins and one girl penguin. The three penguins kind of seem to match up to each one of the three siblings. You know the girl penguin's a girl because she has a little bow on her head. Yes. And knits. And yes, knits. and she knits. Knitting is very important in this anime. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> when I do knitting panels, I reference this anime as one of the reasons why I get to do a knitting panel at a convention. <laughs> at an anime convention. But, uh, yeah, so they get these three penguins that very much resemble the three siblings, and evidently only they can see. Although they do interact in the world. Yeah, the penguins can interact in, with other objects and frequently do, so apparently they're real. But only the siblings can see them. Yes. <laughs> and at some point, while they're coming to terms, they now have penguin minions, pets, some combination thereof. Suddenly the hat's back on Himari, and we go into rock and roll nighttime. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where they suddenly transported into this weird crystal realm. Filled with circling imagery and... Rocket ship trains and robot bears. Robot teddy bears. Which you were saying earlier that those were actually a reference to Ava's. Yeah, I read somewhere that was a reference to Ava. And it was really Ikuhara ribbing Anno. Yeah. Because he can, because Ikuhara does what Ikuhara wants. Yeah. And next thing you know, Himari is a complete change of personality... She's now really, really, I don't want to say gruff, but forthright. I mean, she's very... I like I like dominatrix Sailor Moon myself, but... Uh... She's like, look, idiots, I'm in charge here, and you're going to do this thing. And if you don't do this thing, I'm going to stop keeping your sister alive. So you're going to find this thing. This thing's called the Penguin Drum. Find the Penguin Drum. Now go find it. And they're like, how are we supposed to find it? Well, well, she doesn't even give them a clue until episode two. No, yeah, episode she, one is just go find it. Go find it, and then like episode two, she, she kind of tells them to go find a person on a train, but a person who might have it, who might have it, maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without other than a name and a train, not a whole lot of other information. Uh, but the name is important because the name is Ringo, and she almost she is the one that can almost vie with Shoma for actual main character. Yes, Ringo is a. Uh, Ringo is a character that gets introduced in episode two. In fact, the opening soliloquy for this podcast that Basil read is a variant of Shoma's opening soliloquy for the first episode. Um, she 
Ringo does her own soliloquy for the opening of the second episode that's in exact antithesis to Shoma's soliloquy for the first episode, where Shoma is sitting there going, I hate fate. Um, Ringo sits there and goes, I really love the idea of fate. It means even bad things happen for a reason. Which is one of the central tenets of this anime is, is fate good? Is fate bad? Is fate bullshit? Is, <laughs> yeah. is fate some, even something that exists? You know, it, it's, it's a central theme of this show and it asks it in a way that I think is truly, is truly uh, reflecting on the subject rather than just has an idea and is presenting it. Yeah. Because it's something that they constantly go back to all the time. Like, and this anime actually covers a whole smorgasbord of issues. Oh, God, does it. All the characters' issues have issues. Uh. And there's all socio-things that are commentary on society behind their issues. Like, there's a lot of... In fact, I think that's why a lot... I think that's why it didn't really get picked up for streaming... For a long time, and that's why we partially had to watch it via fan subs, was because so much of this anime is is almost social commentary on Japan that a lot of it's stuff that, you know, I didn't even get until you told me it was a reference to something that happened in Japan that I didn't even know about, which got me into looking and analyze, analyzing the various things and realizing that they were all commentaries on... Uh, they were all commentaries on specifically Japanese issues, and part of it is that they're commentaries on specifically Japanese issues that Japan doesn't like to talk about a lot. Yes. Which is possible one of the reasons why he did this anime was to... Go, hey, we need to talk about it. Right. Now, that said, a lot of these same issues are issues that could apply to a variety of cultures. Yes. Like, I think that we could certainly, you know... That's something that, you know, we... It's something that one could we could watch, and then once you realize what they're talking about, these same sort of lessons and things that, that he wants to talk about could certainly apply to similar events and similar experiences in our own culture. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, I think that once you realize what the references are, once you realize what the references are, you, you see how relevant it is to, like you said, to our culture, to... England's culture to Europe's culture to Africa's culture to everybody's culture um to everybody's culture but some of the references are very Japan specific and so that's where I think that it got a lot of people who are attempting to translate it got tripped up and so really only like the fan subbers who we talked about earlier are just doing this out of a labor of love right really went into it although we'll get to it again later we'll point out that Sentai Filmworks has in fact put out the whole thing on Blu-ray at this point. Yes, and they've done a very good job. They've done a very good job of it. An okay job. <laughs> Visually, it looks amazing. The Blu-ray looks great. The translation, I have some issues here and there. Like, some ways, I like the translation more, but in some ways, I like the translation less. You're always going to have that issue when you mm. translate Japanese. Japanese does not yeah. directly it, translate. It superficially, at least the first couple episodes, seemed a better translation than the Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works movie, which is, I think, was a 
pretty actually bad translation job from Sentai Filmworks. Well, whenever but, you're translating something, you have to ask yourself, do I want to go with the most literal or do I want to go with the mo- with the closest in meaning? And a lot of times, those two do not line up. Like, there's been a couple of things, like, in Magi... Oh, that's the other anime I wanted to talk about, but... Uh, there's been several situations where in Magi, because I, I only, like, half, like, can... I can hear Japanese spoken in the room and kind of know what's going on, though I don't claim I can speak it. But because I do know, like, a couple of, a couple of things, I've, I've successfully been able to predict a few things before it's actually happened just because I noticed how the characters were talking to one another. And how that was different, and whereas Barry could only go off of what the translation was, and while the translation was accurate and was true, knowing that for that deeper level made a difference. Yeah, I have to admit, I also kind of half read subtitles, half listen to the spoken Japanese, mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's sometimes when I get a more maybe it's just sometimes when I get a more uh, loose translation, I have issues with it because it's. The subtitles are jarring with what my brain is hearing. Well, I I appreciate the loose translations because, again, you have to go with, you know, the literal meaning versus the actual meaning. Although I do have to say, when I say the Unlimited Blade Works subs were bad, I mean, there are times when the subtitles and the Japanese are not saying the same thing at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's... And I think the thing with Trump, it's more of a case of... Both the fan subs I watched, as well as what they're doing on the Blu-ray, they're both interpretations. Well, yes, but I mean, but they're both trying to go with the less literal yeah. approach. The editing is different. Well, yeah, the phrasing's different. I think that's where the difference came in. And, and in some cases, I like the phrasing better. Yeah. In one, for example, the phrase "survival strategy over survival tactic." Well, that's uh, that's a lot like people. A lot like when people were complaining about the the official's translation versus the fans' translation of, uh, oh gosh, that series that I really like and talk about all the time. Yeah, that was a great show. Like, oh gosh, why can't I remember its name? <laughs> uh. <laughs> With, uh. Got more of a The hint. glasses. Gur- Tengentopin Gurren Lagan. Uh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the don't believe, you know, don't believe in yourself, believe in me, who believes in you, got translated kind of differently in the actual translation. Uh, the, you know, who the hell do you think I am got translated differently in the actual, in the official translation. Yeah. But in, in reality, neither one of them are any more or less right. They both, co- they both actually do encapture the meaning of what he was saying. Right. But, so, going back to the anime, Ringo is a piece of work. The beetle that nobody liked. Oh, wait, no, wait, uh, Penguin Drum. Uh, the girl well, that nobody liked. In the first couple of episodes, she's presented as if she's the craziest character. Yeah. Oh, she is so not, though. She, uh, she's presented as though she's the craziest character in the whole series, and and really, she's... She's one of the more sane ones, actually, by the end of it. Not that she's not crazy. <laughs> but. I feel that's a case of, A, other characters ramp up their crazy to exceed hers. Mm-hmm. But as she as you go throughout the series, she gets less crazy. 
Well, that's true. Like the first block of episodes, about the first eight or nine episodes. I, I think it even happens, you know, we just watched the first two episodes, so by the end of the second episode, she, they reveal that she is a stalker. Yeah, girl ain't right. It becomes evident fairly quickly. And, but she has what they think is the penguin drum. They've been told she might, might. have the penguin drum. Despite anyway. the seeming lack of presence of anything penguin or drum-like on her person. <laughs> and they reveal something that she has, which is her diary, that they think might be the penguin drum. And so for the first several episodes, first, like I said, eight or nine episodes, is about them trying to help her with her stalking <laughs> so yeah. that they can land this diary, which they think is the penguin drum. And it hits a fever pitch. And at that point, the tone and the story shifts. Yeah. And that's when you st- everything starts going extra nut bars. And that's when she starts seeming saner by well, the show well, goes she, on. She both, yeah. both th- like Basil said, both things happen. Yeah. Both, everybody else's crazy starts coming out. And at the same time, her major source of crazy... Has been resolved. She no longer feels the need to stalk the person that she was stalking. And she, she almost becomes the one sane person in the almost. series. Almost. Yes. Who is the sanest person Himari. in the series? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because Himari. I mean, everything else going around her, she's pretty solid. She's pretty. Like, you know. She's, and, and I'll also say Shoma's not that crazy. No, no I actually think so- Shoma's pretty crazy. He gets caught up in a by lot the of end of it. By the end of it, I think that Shoma might be the craziest of all. Well, we'll get into that. But, but... That, that that goes into spoilers. And we're, we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there. We're getting there. We're not quite there yet. No, but throughout the series, he appears to be yeah. the sanest of all. But most of the series, he appears to be the guy who's like, why the hell are we doing any of this? Oh yeah, sister's going to die if I don't. This is still stupid and crazy. <laughs> well, he he says some, something more or less like when it when the show hits that fevered pitch where Ringo has just gone nut bars, he basically says that to her. You know, this is just crazy. You know, whatever your reason for doing this is, you need to stop because this is insane. Like he actually has that conversation yes. in the show. More <laughs> anime could use that conversation once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> But the show is just oh god! It's 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 really it's it's like a seven layer dip of awesome. Oh god! Yes, it is. I mean the yes the superficial story is honestly pretty interesting. Um, I don't think there is a superficial story. Like you say, the superficial story, but the thing is, by the time you hit that fevered pitch, it is kind you, of the sto- the the show has already started layering on. Yeah. Layer upon layer that by the time that fever pitch hits, I don't think there is a superficial story. Like, at that point, it really turns into, you know, the seven-layer dip. And then more into Barry's five-animal lasagna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where, no matter where you hit your fork, you're getting lasagna out of it. Yeah. yeah. It's just how condensed and how many different animals... Are you eating when you're eating that lasagna? At that exact particular bite of lasagna, how many animals are in it? Like, is it beef and buffalo? Is it beef, buffalo, and chicken? You don't know, but it's all delicious. 
and half yeah, the fun is figuring out which what you're chewing on at the moment. It's but yeah, it's very well animated. There's always something interesting going on in the animation. There's always the characters are do, always doing something interesting. Uh, if nothing else, the penguins are doing something interesting. To try to talk about the initial, which I guess is what Kevin is calling the superficial yeah, story. The initial story. The it, initial yes. story. That's uh, probably better. By episode two, it's revealed that Ringo is a stalker. She's actually stalking. Uh, she's actually stalking uh, the t- the twin brothers. Yeah, their teacher. From she's school. actually stalking their teacher from school, who is dating this girl who's actually a fairly popular, uh, a fairly popular actress. In what what is that art style? Takarazuka. Yeah, where they're all they're uh, all women. They're all women. Yeah, it's Takarazuka. She's actually the teacher is a guy named uh, Keiju uh, Tabuki. Yeah. When they're usually referred to as Tabuki. Yeah. And then the, and the girl is Yuri, Yuri uh, Tokikago. Tokikago. Yeah. And they usually actually refer to her, oddly enough, by, as Yuri instead of the last, you know, mm-hmm. last name. And she is a part of the Sunshiny Theater Takarazuka troupe. But uh, it turns out that both, uh, both the teacher and, uh, both the teacher and the, and the actress were friends of this girl named Momoka, who is actually Ringo's older sister who wrote the diary that Ringo has. That seems to maybe kind of predict the future. Yes, it, it like... Well, what the, the diary does is that Ringo writes in the diary what she thinks is going to be fate, and that she does everything she possibly can no, that's to not, make it you, so. No, you're, you're misremembering. In R- the first... Ringo doesn't. Ringo doesn't ever write in the diary. She's following the diary. It's Momoko's diary, and she is following Momoko's diary, trying to make fate happen. Uh, trying to make fate happen because she felt that it was a big mistake on fate's part that her sister died. So she's taking her sister's place to complete fate. Is Ringo's whole goal. I could have sworn that she was writing those because no. those things were very Momoka. specifically Ringo like Ringo's things to do. No, they were actually all written by Momoka. Yeah, I thought it was all already. Well, I thought it was all already in there, and she was following it like a blueprint. Yeah, it, that's that's what's going on. It's already in there, and she's following it like a blueprint. Hence, why the two. Hence, why the two brothers. You know, when they decide that this diary must be the penguin drum. Like where she seems to be going out of ridiculous ways, like in a picture of a swallow nest or something. Yeah, to, to... And he even makes a comment that those are hard to find nowadays. You know, thus referencing that they were easier to find when he was younger, i.e. when he was friends with Momoka. Yes. Uh, and, uh... Yeah, and... Like, and Ringo's family is falling apart because of Momoka's death. Uh. And this stuff, it does seem spoilery, but this is just... This yeah. Really is this is the first, first couple episodes. Couple episodes. Like, we're not... This is leading up to the craziness. This is le- leading... This is just the... Ju- this is just, like, the standard story leading up to... And then things go crazy. <laughs> but... Oh man, just a lot of the ways that, a lot of the directorial quirks that Ikahara has. Like, he loves presenting things in threes, where he'll he'll show bits of similar style, position animation. Uh-huh. Like, in the first episode, for example, 
when Shoma first meets his penguin. He is looking around for his subway pass, and he can't find it. Next day, he gets a tap with some penguin arm-to-leg tapping action. And he looks down, and he just sees the penguin holding up the bus pass. And then they cut to another scene where Shoma's looking for something else, and he gets the penguin tap. And the penguin's holding up something else. He's shot, yet the same shot of the arm is holding something else. And then he needs an umbrella. He gets the pat. And it's the, um, the penguin holding up the umbrella. And it's always the same shot. The same camera angle. But there's different things in each shot. Which means it's not being really reused animation. Only it is. It's, it's just really neat. But he is the master of reused animation. Well... Personally, I think that his reputation like that is actually a demonstration of what a great director he really is and how good he is at telling his story. Um, Because three is sort of like a magic number where that's concerned. It's enough times to indicate to you that this isn't a one-time-only thing. Our protagonist is not just reacting off the wall to this one unique incident. This is a repeated incident that keeps happening. Uh... And, but at the same time, it's not so frequent, it's not so often that it starts boring the audience, or that it, or, or that it becomes, like, tiresome to the yeah. audience. It's just enough to make its point, and then move on. Yeah, doing things in three is a very classic, dramatic mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. That does show he kind of knows his stuff, though. But he is, he's, but he's still a master of reused animation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, because, you know, every time... He makes sure that when he when they do the you know survival tactic you know line and suddenly we get to send off send them to the crystal realm as it were you know it's always that same shot but it's a really exciting colorful shot that you kind of don't mind watching yeah oh also, gosh kind of like the uh, the absolute destiny apocalypse sequence from Utena yeah I I absolutely love like later on in the series I started to get sad that we hadn't had like we hadn't gone into the crystal world again because I missed seeing that thing. Like, that, uh, I was like, oh, that was something that's supposed to happen every episode and it hasn't happened in, like, three. <laughs> and then you've got the whole flashback thing where they yeah. use the, yes. same, the same animation cue where they'll do a flashback and they'll give you a text to sort of give you a synopsis of what they're about to flashback to. Or all well, the train, going on train sequences, there's a lot of reused animation there, but it looks good. There's a big, um, there's a big, as a, used as a storytelling mechanic, uh, the big, like, train theme. Yeah. Well, I guess subway theme would be yeah, more accurate. Yeah, a big subway theme. You know, much uh-huh. like in Utena, where he had the shadow girls who were always like secretly like narrating, you know, narrating the back- background. And if you paid enough attention, they were predicting things that were going to happen in the future of the episode. Similarly, there are two girls who are also relevant to the plot. Uh, two girls who are kind of like these pop singer idol icons that you know have your daily message, uh, like you know. Don't litter on the train. Don't, you know, watch out for perverts. Perverts are bad. Uh, And they have various little messages like that that usually end up actually turning up something later later on in the episode or being a theme almost immediately while they're on the train. Uh... And at the same time, and at the same time, like Kevin, Ke- Kevin and Basil mentioned, when they do a flashback, they do it 
sort of in the mode of um sort of in the mode of text text going through a tra- a trailway a trainway station notification board really fast just you know very quickly streaming the information across a small you know, line kind of tell you where it is what what was going on you know they then... they do do a with the re- animation they reuse all the time to show you that we're going into a flashback now is going through gates like yes. you would go through it's at a subway station. He's not so much reusing animation because we're cheap and we have to reuse animation. He's using animation to emphasize To drive him a point. Um, like, and also, when the episodes aired, they follow one of the train lines in Japan. Yeah. Like... And, in fact, the uh, eye catch for each episode uh-huh. is them continually moving down the line uh-huh. of each episode... But yeah, Ikara, he, he does this thing where he takes reused animation, and instead of using it as a cost-saving technique, he uses it as a form of style. Well, I'm sure it's also panache. a cost-saving it, technique. It does but, save, but... But that's all... Um, yeah. He does it in such a way that it feels like that was the secondary goal rather than the primary goal. Yeah, this goal. isn't Gundam Seed Destiny, where you see the same shot of the Gundam posing and shooting its beam rifle three or four times even in the same episode, much less through the whole series. No, this... It's obvious, like... They had the budget to make as a beautiful show as almost probably probably wanted to, and they do. They, this this is a beautiful anime. I love the I love the art in it. Like it is, it is animated like somebody. It's not actually animated like they actually, you know, painted cells or anything. But it is animated like they painted it in like Photoshop. They painted it in Photoshop where they actually, and not to take away from anything, because I do a lot of Photoshop painting where you actually apply the color as if it's paint. You know, and there, the, there's blending that happens as a result of that. A lot of the highlights are very clearly like somebody selected that color rather than just like applying a lighter. The, yeah, it kind of feels, it does feel a little bit more in the style of actually hand-drawn animation, not your churned out on a computer animation. So it kind of gets the benefits of both. Yeah, although I'm sure it was. Like you said, I'm sure it was done on computer because they don't do cell animation anymore, but... Well, but, you know, at the same time, other parts of it are very clearly, like, computer animated. Like, the smoothness with which the lines are and the transitions happen. That all is stuff that has to be done on the computer, and you can tell a difference between when you see what animation done done on the computer and animation done by hand... Uh, so it has all the crispness and cleanness of uh, of a computer of a computer animated series, but it has like, a like all... color palette and blending of yeah, hand drawn exactly. And so the short, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful show. The color palette is vast. It's very very bright. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that my husband thought it was just initially watching it. He thought it was going to be a much light lighter show. Because when did this come out in a relationship to uh, mag- to Magical Girl Madoka? Um, good question. I, I want to say they were really close together, but I think Penguin y- Drum came. My facts are not exact, so don't don't bother pausing it, Basil. Uh, my facts are not exact, but I'm pretty sure I remember that they came out around about the same time. I think they were really close. I don't know. I, I I don't know that. I don't know exactly the timing of that, but I know that I watched uh, uh, 
Magical Girl Madoka before I watched Penguin Drum. And Madoka also has a pretty bright palette, especially when you get into, like, the witch, the witch areas. Mm-hmm. But Madoka presents itself as something dark. It, and so you expect it to get dark. It takes a few episodes to get there, but yeah, there's a dark undercurrent in that at all times. Yeah, Penguin at all times. Drum looks way cheerier. Yeah, Penguin Drum just looks so cheery that it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it's going to deal with real world issues. Like the the sister dying in the is comes right out in the first episode, but then it seems like okay, she's got this penguin hat and she's sort of half possessed, but it's looking up from here, guys. Yeah, I think I was also at the same time that I was first watching this, I was also watching um, you know, am I a zombie like I forget the actual Japanese. It was something I think it's, like. Is, is this a zombie or? I don't know. It, it was one of those tiles that was hard Kore to translate. Korewa zombie deska. Yeah, Korewa zombie deska. I was watching that, and it actually, I thought that it was going to be much more like, "Am I a zombie?" Where we have these supernatural elements at play in place that may, from time to time, be a little bit more. But overall, the series is pretty cheery, and see, the series is pretty cheery and action packed. <laughs> I was expecting it to be less like Madoka, which is, you know, you know, oh, we're gonna take this light and cheery thing and do something dark with it, you know. Let's make a magical girl show based off of Faust. <laughs> <laughs> That's Madoka, as, as little spoilers as possible if you haven't seen it. Anyways, Madoka ended in April of 2011, and yeah. Penguin Drum started in July of 2011, so you're yeah. right. So okay, they, so they, one kind of led into the other one. Yeah, we they, they were leading into the other. So that, that I am right. I did watch Madoka, and then I watched Penguin Drum. But, now, that's not to get anybody confused and think that these two shows are anything alike. No, not but, really. But there is sort of like a undercurrent, there's an undercurrent of some of something running throughout this show, which I was almost getting disheartened with anime. Because it seemed like anime was losing a lot of this. And we really have a deeper meaning under the show that we're showing you. Like, that was something that I really loved about anime in the 1990s. And it seemed like it was almost fading away. It, it, it was fading away in favor of, like, the big the big shonen action-adventure anime. Which, which I love, too. I love those just as well, but... You know, we were losing that. Yeah. We were losing that intellectual side of anime, and then these two anime came out, and they really had it, and I really appreciated it. Does that make any sense? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, How about you, audience at home? Write us and tell us, uh, and send all complaints to Chainsaw Buffet at ChainsawBuffetPodcast dot com. Why would you send them our complaints about us? Then they'll just use it to rib us. Well, Chainsaw Buffet is also great. Check out Chainsaw Buffet, too, if you're listening to podcasts about anime and things. Because they are cool guys. So so now we're going to take a musical interlude, and we come back. Spoilers! Yay! So many spoilers.
broiler. Oh my what god! What was up with child broiler? I have to admit, visually, that's a rather hor- every time that came up was rather horrific. Yes. Um, oh, where to start with the penguin drum spoilers? I guess we'll start with the child the broiler child since you broiler. brought it up. Okay. Let's explain what the child broiler is. Uh, well, do we explain what the child broiler is or what well, the child broiler is? I'll explain what the child broiler is if somebody else will first explain what the child broiler is. Yeah. It's where orphan kids go to die? To get chopped up and poured into, like, normal person slurry? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a reoccurring theme in Penguin Drum. That unwanted children get sent to the get sent to the child broiler, and the child broiler is a place where the unwanted children go and are placed. And yeah, like they just said, there's a lot of there's a lot of conveyor belt imagery. There is both imagery of like blades and chopping, like an industry. And also of fire, and with the yeah. general with the general impression being that they're killing all of these children and chopping them up into tiny little bits, and somehow churning out really boring non persons. Well, do you agree with that assessment of as it is presented in the anime? Yeah, and it, it maybe that is why we're, we get all those people in the anime is a rare visual visual motif. Is yeah. that unless you're important. You're just this white kind of paper cutout, paper cutout caricature of yeah. a person, and they're, and they're everywhere, and they're obviously there because they're not important. Well, it, that imagery reinforces the train theme that we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, because they look, you know, all those figures, the the white cutout figures, they look like the generic person that is on like a bathroom sign indicating women's or men's bathroom. Yeah, they look like the. Don't you know, walk keep, guy don't walk here guy, you know. School crossing, stuff like that. Which both works really as a as a really good visual teeth and cost cutting measure. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly they're conveying all these people and you know there's all these people and you know, A, they're immediately they're not important. Yeah. And B, there's still a lot of them and it's easily re- to reproduce. Like it's yeah. it's a great you know, two pronged approach to a tackle. Something. How do we deal with throngs of people without actually having to animate throngs of people? And yeah. again, he does it in a way, ties it in with a train motif, yeah. and he ties it in with this child broiler that, I actually know the answer to this one. As we mentioned, as we mentioned earlier, this anime actually turned out to be a lot of, co- a lot of social commentary, that he was co- that he was sort of using the anime as a vehicle to comment on a lot of things that Japan had just collectively decided not to talk about, and one of the things was uh, the pub the public education system, and I really think that the child bro- broiler was a symbol for the public educational system of Japan, which for the longest time had the highest juvenile suicide rate of any nation in the world. Uh, Thus leading us to the, you know, all the gruesome aspects of the child broiler. Um, Not to mention, uh, in the, during the 1990s, and I don't know how far this this public policy extended to in the 2000s, but I know that it has been changed in in the 2000s. 
but Japan was actually very proud of itself for how well it took care of its orphan children. Um, in that it did, in that Japan did not force them to leave their childhood home that they had grown up with with their parents, um, and it would in fact pay the the government would pay the would pay the bills for the child to live independently, would give them a small allowance to buy food and groceries with, uh, it would keep them enrolled in their current in the school that they had previously been enrolled in, but all minus the actual person giving care of the child. Uh, and that was thought to be a better system than putting children in with people who didn't even know them, possibly didn't even care. Instead of this child having to move into a, into a house with a bunch of strangers, this child gets to live in their own home independently. And I think that's what the child broiler was representing. And that really is a bad system. As I mentioned, for a long time, Japan had a higher suicide rate than any other first world nation among among uh, middle school middle school age kids and teenage kids, and it could be that one of the po- one of the reason one of the reasons for this was because that there weren't as many people who would miss these children if they if something mm-hmm. happened to them. And Japanese school is kind of notorious for banging uh, round pegs into square holes. Yeah, it is. Uh, Japan's school system is notorious for. Forcing people into being what Japan has decided. And in fact, in the Child Royal, there's also a lot of imagery of the adults that are around. You know, they're also those white cutout people. And they're saying things along the lines of... They're saying things along the lines of, We're going to... uh, We will simply be reducing you from the form you currently know and into something that will be useful for society. That's actually is something that you hear in Japanese public school is that they're educating you so that you will be useful for society. Uh, it kind of represents a, a stripping of identity, even if it doesn't actually mean a literal death. Even if he's not actually talking about a literal death or a literal like disposal of unwanted children, but it was sort of a situation that when you really thought about it, Japan actually was doing something that was kind of horrible, and nobody was talking about it. However, it also seems a little bit past the point because Japan did change that. That is no longer the policy. I think currently the policy is that you now get shipped off, if your parents die, you get shipped off to live with your closest living relative uh, or they find some other home for you. But there is a different situation there in place now. But, you know, I can see that that might have very much been the case for the director while he was growing up. It might be something that lingered in his mind, and he felt yeah. like he wanted to say something about. And you know, just because some it, the 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 situation is fixed now, that does not mean that the consequences the are consequences gone. are yeah. gone. Um, that they can regress. You mm-hmm. know, it's still something that is it's still somewhat topical. It's still something that should still be talked about and discussed. Yes, you know, still should be presented, still be thought upon. Because, you know, the whole, you know, those who don't remember the past are going to repeat yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Certainly people who but, live through the system are very much alive and very much... Well, uh, it, it's one of those things. Uh, again, Penguin Drum I, was sort of... The anime was sort of a vehicle for him to talk about a lot of issues that people don't... That people in Japan just don't flat out don't talk about. Um, and one And I think one of the reasons that a lot of American viewers miss this... The miss this association with the Japanese 
school system is the child broiler is because you never hear negative reviews of the Japanese no, educational yeah. system. Like, ever. Anytime I saw anyone talking about Penguin Drum, it was like, what the hell is the child broiler all about? Yeah. that Came up a lot. Well, did I... Have I helped you out? Oh, yeah. I, I, you, what you said makes a lot of sense. A lot now, of sense. one of the things that people figured out pretty quickly was one of the, you know, central conceits was the terrorist bombing attacks on the subway, which was very much a direct corollary to sarin gas attacks that actually happened in the Tokyo subway system yeah. in 1995, where... That was the... That was the first one when you told me about that. Because yeah. I sat there, like, I was confused as to what a lot of these references were. And I was trying to talk to you about it, Basil. And you mentioned that one. And that was an event that I had never even heard of. I remember it from, I caught it on the news when it happened. Yeah, I remember actually, I think, talking possibly to Kevin about it. Like when we first started hanging out with one another yeah. years ago. Well, yeah. Dating that, ourselves. That would have been when I was... When I was like a teenager, you know, I'm not, I was not, I would not have been very world weary at that point. You you were barely a teenager. This was, remember, this happened in 1995. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah, I was barely even a teenager. Like, we were just, you know, I didn't even drive. Uh, No, I wasn't a teenager in 1995. Like, I wasn't a teenager in 1995. Like, I was 11. You're you're approaching preteen. Yeah. I was a preteen, but I was not a teen. So yeah, I, yeah. No, there's every reason why you might not have paid attention to the news at all. <laughs> yeah. So I had no idea about this event happening, but that's the exact reason is that I had no idea about this event happening. But yeah, Japan even, certainly does not talk about it. Yeah. Even as I got into anime, that seemed like a big enough event, like that I would have cued in on, because you know, if if somebody is sitting there and they're a fan of whatever it is that America is producing as our entertainment, they're a big fan of that. They're, of course, going to know about September 11th because we talk about it all the time. It's very relevant to all of our media. And this bombing just seemed like kind of the same thing. Like, wouldn't wouldn't we know about this from anime yeah. and things? And Well... The answer is no. We the don't. The only really thing was that the second Pat Labor movie had come out in theaters not long before it happened. And there's kind of a similar... It turns out to not be a gas attack, but it looked like a gas attack. And that, well, there was a little, um, oh, this is maybe a little edgy. Maybe we shouldn't uh, pull this movie or something. But uh, but that is one of those things where, like, I'm, I, I bet there are other events that you know, we talk about here and there. It's like, you know, for example, you're right. They do pound September 11th into us very hard. Yeah. But stuff like Columbine, it gets mentioned here and there, but nearly to the same intensity. I don't know. I got, I got pounded pretty hard with Columbine when I was in high school because that was right when I was in high school. Well, and I'm sure that in 1995, Japan probably you know, yeah, got pretty hard. But since then, well, yeah, you know, now we we hear it mentioned nowadays because occasionally we'll have other sh- school shootings. Yeah, and then oh, remember this other one. Yeah, you know, but a school shooting is a way easier happenstance, sadly, than. A subway bombing, it's which is which would take a much more, yeah, concentrated and it'd be harder to big approach. Deal at the time, and then they decided we're not going to talk about it. I don't know why, conscious, unconscious, they don't talk about it much. But you know, Japan's also, as far as I can tell, is very, very conform, conform, 
everything's all right, conform. Yeah. yeah so, from the from what I from what I read after you told me about it, that that's what this was a reference to. It's one of those things that, yeah, collectively as a culture, Japan pretty much decided not to talk about this event. And it was, like Kevin said, it was very intense in the culture for a, a few moments. And then they decided to stop talking about it, almost as if they thought, if we stop talking about it, nothing like this will ever happen again. Right. If we ignore it, it'll go away. And I think part of what this anime is saying is stuff like that doesn't go away just because you ignore it. It's, it's true. And I also do feel like, like Child Broiler and, and that, you know, the whole education thing. That's something that America could really, you know... Yeah. You know, relate to and pay attention. Because that's that sort of thing where, you know, kids getting put through foster homes and, you know, are being chugged through the system just to try and churn out people. Yeah. That's universal. It is. That is Every you know, culture needs needs to know that lesson. Um. And those are just two things that happen to, you know, be a part of it. Then you have the weird whole, you have the, you have the whole stalker thing. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, how, how crazy that is, but you know, and how much like, so what we're doing. And then you have the whole backstory of, you find out that, you know, the three siblings, none of them are siblings. Yeah. None of the none siblings of are related. Ah, uh, yes. And like the first episode, they throw in just a little bit of incest hint. Only to never talk about it again to love the point established they're not actually related. They do bring up the incest point again a little bit, but they they do it in such a way that it, it could just be a true brother or sister like Yeah. You know, sister misses her older brother so much. Um but yes, so I'm sorry, I can never I always called him the redhead even when I was watching it I called him the redheaded brother. Kanba? Yeah, yeah. Kanba Kanba actually has a, a younger sister. Yeah, Masako. Yeah. A real, actual... An actual sister. younger sister who, uh, when he leaves the family, that puts a whole lot of stress on... Her. The grandfather puts a whole lot of unnecessary stress on her to be his successor and to live up to his male greatness when, she, when that's just not who she is. That's just not who she is. And, uh... Which leads us to another central theme of Penguin Drum. It's Family values. Yes. Or, ah, yes. Well, I was like, say, it's like, you know, parents can really mess kids up sometimes. Well, Japan, ha- in America, we have this concept that the child does not inherit the sins of the parent. Mm-hmm. Like, we're very emphatic about this. Like, even if you're, even if your dad runs, you know, he gets into his later years and he runs up a whole bunch of debt, and then he passes away. According to American law, you are not viable for that debt. But, there are but, a lot of times where, like, you know, if, if there's, like, really bad parents and the kids aren't doing so well, they're like, oh, well, they're they're cut from the same cloth. Well, yeah, but we do that as a more afterthought reason to explain the kid's bad behavior rather than condemning the kid uh, a lot of times in anime we do see thing we do see things where they go um you know my mom told me that the daughter of a liar is going to be a liar that's something i saw i saw in an anime just recently um yeah i think uh, i think in japan maybe this is just wrong thinking through anime, anime but i think in japan kids are sometimes liable for the deaths of their parents well i 
that's certainly a storyline I see come up in a lot of hentai manga, but that's <laughs> hentai manga. That's neither here nor there. The relevant thing that I know that actually is true is not in Japan, but in Chi- but in China and in North Korea, children are definitely held accountable for like crimes that their parents commit. And but so I, I definitely just... do see an anime more a, a definite. There's often a theme of something about the parents carry over to the child. But that's almost a lesser point compared to the greater point that the anime makes is that the whole system of parents raising their children is really unfair. Like it I watched this anime and I thought, "Oh my god, what did this what did this poor man suffer from his parents?" Because ev- like of the two adult characters, both of them are portrayed as having something very, as having like a very, very overbearing parent who is having a very, very overbearing parent who is in fact the, the reason that they have their current neuroses and the, the parents of our three siblings who aren't really siblings, you know, the things that they did turn, you know, everybody blames them for as the children um, and the point that the anime makes, and I think it's actually Yuki who says it at one point, is that it really is unfair that children are born to parents and children have to love their parents. Children are absolutely dependent on their parents, so they have to love them. They don't get a choice if they love their parents or not. But parents don't ha- aren't bound by that same aren't bound by that same limitations. Like, when you get to pick your friends, when you get to pick your lover, you get to pick someone who really loves you and really cares about you. When you're born, you don't get to pick that. And so you're forced to love your parent, whoever they are. And in the case of in the case of the teacher, um, in the case of the teacher, his whole thing was his mother messed him up because she only liked talented people. So she only liked him as long as he could play the piano really well. And then when his little brother was born, who could play the piano better than him, suddenly he found himself thrown into this child broiler and only Momoko got to rescue him. Uh, Same way with the girl, which I blew Kevin's mind with this earlier. Uh, Yuri. With... Basil and Kevin were idly talking about how this show has some actual Yuri in it. And I looked at them and I said, Does it? And they looked at me and said, Yes, it does. Yuri. Yuri's with several characters. And I pointed out the fact that, well, actually, her father has this whole... Like, they definitely imply that some body mutilation occurred, but they're very... It's very nebulous as to what the body modification was. Like, uh, the imagery of him chiseling on her could could also be interpreted as him forcing, like, his sexual desires onto her and him molesting her as a small child. It could also, but it could also be a representative of something else. And what I read a forum that noticed was that the places where she would show up with bandages to school, uh are the same places that they often take skin grafts from, especially if they are building uh, an or- building an external organ for you, such as a penis in a male-to-female transplant. 
And the father, he was always talking about how he only liked beautiful things. And he was always carved, and he was supposed to be this famous sculptor, and he was always chiseling away these sculptures of naked men. He never had any female statues around. And so my thought was he was forcing his young daughter to be his son. See, I, I don't know because there is a... There... And, the, and there's a scene mm-hmm. where Yuri is with her other Takarazuka buddy. Yeah. And they're talking about how only women can love another woman truly. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying that she was born a boy. I'm saying that she was born a woman, but she was right, right forced but, to undergo a surgery against her will is what I'm saying. But that would mean also mean that either A, she still has, has... She's still surgically that, or... That she's been resurgically undone. Because at that point, they're referring to the both says as women with women parts. Well, what I... I know the scene you're referring to, and what I thought about that scene... Because I, I went back and rewatched that scene after I read this theory. And I, real, and I realized that you... From the things that Yuri says, and the things that the more butch actress says, you can actually interpret that you can actually interpret that as a from the specific the specific way they're talking if you watch it with the opinion that maybe yuri does have some form some form of like male genitalia uh it does make sense that they're talking the way they're talking uh it it, it's weird and it's a controversial theory the al- the alternate theory is that Yuri's father sexually abused her. Either one, I think, get to the main point, which is Yuri's father messed Yuri up. Yeah, something terrible. Yeah, yeah in a terrible, terrible it's way. Certainly, it's and, framed in a way that something horrible definitely happened to her, but it's maybe not entirely clear. I thought you maybe I. Possibly he's also just mutilating her physically. Oh, just but, just physical mutilation? Yeah. Yeah. Well... But I don't know, like, that's almost maybe too obvious, being Ikurara, but, uh... Well, in, in any event, wh- whatever the case may be, it doesn't change the point, and it does make it why... Because obviously the most directly horrible... The most directly horrible, uh... Tragedy that any character suffers as a direct as a direct result of their parent, is Yuri. So it does kind of make sense that she's the one that makes the comment of, isn't it unfair that, you know, we're born and we're forced to love our parents? Right. Um, which is itself a really weird controversy, but... Especially, Japan is also, you're supposed to respect, well, a lot of places, but Japan does make a big deal about respecting your parents. Yeah. And what's funny is that, you know... The Takakura fan, you know, parents, you know, while they were horrible terrorists, yeah. they were model parents. Oh, don't know if we mentioned that earlier when we were talking about the train bombing. Yeah, in the anime, uh, the train bombing was done by the Takakura's parents, and that's why they aren't around. Or them and their weird penguin group, which I'm still yeah. not sure if they were a political group or a religious cult. I'm a little confused. I think they Maybe were... doesn't matter. Well, um... <laughs> I think they were a political group, but keep in mind, it's also nebulous because what they're revolting against, one of the things that one of the adult members says as the reason for their revolt 
is that the one one of the reasons they give is the reason for their result is they can't support a society that enacts something as terrible as the child broiler, which I've already stated the child broiler is an analogy for something else. Right, but in this anime, it could also be a real thing. A real thing, um, and also with uh, Sanatoshi, mm-hmm. you know, our our main villain, when he was in charge of it, it could have were you know taken more of a religious cult bent around yeah. him. That's he, true. And maybe I'm just extrapolating because yeah, Ikuruhara villains like Akio Nutena, he Sanatoshi is definitely a really charismatic guy, and yeah. regardless. These members are so fervent yeah. in their belief in what they're doing is right. Yeah. It is, you know, the, it is the same level of, you know, inspired, faithful, you know, loyal, yeah. crazy that you would get for either a really hardcore, hardline terrorist group or a cult. The leaders certainly seem to have a cult of personality thing going on, if not an actual religious cult. Yeah. Well, um,. Uh... One of the things that the anime, sorry, uh, one of the things that the anime kind of plays around with is, well, where are their parents? Um, they're just gone at the beginning of the epi- at the beginning of the series, and they're recognized as being actively missing. Um, a little bit about halfway through the series, like uh, they start making well, early halfway through the series, they start making reference that nobody knows where the parents are. They're in hiding. They're missing. But then uh, the oldest of the the oldest of the children, Canva uh, starts talking with them. starts talking with them, like and having secret meetings with them, um, only to reveal later on. And I would say at the beginning of the end that they're actually dead. That he's actually been going to this abandoned uh, cafe, and. Uh, and his kind of crazy is that he has this delusion that they're still alive and talking to him. Uh, you know, whether he literally thinks that or he's just remembering things they told him back in the past. Or, if you know, are they actually ghosts? Uh, yeah, they're... Is he, yeah. Is are they he talking just ghosts? so delusional that he's, you know, trying to figure what to do and his brain is reinterpreting everything yeah. as delusions to tell himself what he should be doing? But their bodies, their their bodies actually are in they, that they are in fact very most definitely dead. Yeah, very dead in that abandoned cafe. Yeah, that he comes like, out of. Were their bodies actually like rotting there? Or yeah, yeah, they're they're yeah. corpses. I mean, it was a like it was a cafe full of in this old cafe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but when they, but th- those two parents actually are blue-haired brothers. Yes, they're, they're Shoma's parents. Yes, they actually are Shoma's parents, and then but they adopt they they adopt Kanba, you know, I, because his parents. Well, it was a case of like Kanba's, him and um, his parents were involved. and I, oh, I must question you know his sister. Yeah, yeah. Their grandfather was like, I only want successful people. If you're not successful, I'm kicking you out, and he that's he did did to their father. Yes, and that's why the father joined. Uh, right, yeah, joined the the Kiga group. And then when they died, that's why Shoma's parents took in Kanba. You know, and leaving you know Olamash Question Girl to be raised by the grandfather and who was overbearing and kept trying to force her to be 
something that she wasn't, and but she was actually doing a pretty good job of being that something that she wasn't. Right. Because she thought she wasn't doing it for herself. She was doing it for both for Kanva, for her younger brother, you know. Masako, that's her name, Masako. Yeah, Masako was doing it for Kanba. She was doing it for her younger brother. Who, maybe we mentioned, she has her own little invisible to normals penguin, but... Uh, yes, she does. Esmeralda. Yes. And her brother, Mario, is also suffering from an illness. Yeah. Yes. And he's also being kept alive by a penguin hat, which is also Momoka. He, he just I don't doesn't think we t- mentioned that part yet. Yeah, like, That well, the Crystal Princess... Is, is Momoka. Momoka. The Ringo's dead sister. Who technically killed Sanatoshi. The villain. Yes. Well the villain before the series started. started. Like with her ability to change fate. Yes. So the answer is, yes, there's fate. But apparently if you're badass enough, you can still change it. You know, at a price. Yes. Well, like she would always catch fire whenever... She changed fate. Like she had her, she had her diary, and her. But her diary, Momoka's diary, was magic. If she wrote in her diary that something else, ha- if she wrote in her diary that something else happened, it now happened. It was now the truth. It was now what actually occurred. But um, more. But if it if it went to, if it went against what had actually transpired, uh, the result was that. A, par- a small part yeah. of her would catch flame. The and like the more extreme change, it seemed like the more the more she would burst right, yeah. burst into flames, and that's how she rescued our two adult characters. You know, the teacher and the actress. She, uh, you know, her whole arm caught fire as she changed destiny for Yuki, so that Yuki didn't have to Yuri. Yuri. Oh, no, yeah, Yuri. So that Yuri didn't have to live with her terrible father. Like, her whole arm caught fire. Um, and she had been childhood friends with... with oh, uh, the teacher guy. Tabuki. She had been yeah. childhood friends with Tabuki. Um, and evidently, the big thing that she changed was... The biggest thing that she changed of all, it turns out, in the end, the final thing, so if the super-duper spoiler, is the big thing that Momoka changed... Fate-wise, was she changed fate so that uh, he was not on the train when the explosion went off. She sacrificed herself so that her friends didn't die. Well, she actually saved, I think, like, way she way she pulled it off was she stopped half of the explosions from happening. Yeah. And it had a result of, A, splitting her into two, mm-hmm. into two halves, which each half was in one hat. Yes. And it split Sanatoshi in two, which are the two bunnies that follow him around. That occasionally yes. appear as little question mark boys, I guess. Well, I thought they were kids, girls, but... Uh... They're kids they're of... Amb- kids of ambiguous gender. <laughs> they're, they're more kids than they are anything else. Who are and also sometimes bo- rabbits. And they're more there to say, oh man, Satoshi, you're so awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're the awesomest. They're kind of like the evil Shadow Girls or something. <laughs> it's like... Well, Ringo's... Okay, as you've probably picked up, Momoko's parents, and this is a for real thing that Japanese parents do, is is they tend to name their, their children, especially children of the same gender, in kind of a theme. Um, and so to have one child be named Momoka, which is basically Peach Girl, or Peach Lady... 
I then named the next one Ringo, which is Apple, is not really that much of a stretch or unusual in any way. However, Ringo being Apple, they do make a lot of references to this Japanese work, work of fiction, yeah. in which the, the Apple holds a whole lot of significant... Uh, yeah, Night, of the Gla- Night on the Galactic Railroad. Kenji yeah. uh, something or other. Kenji something or other. In which um, the Apple holds a whole lot of significance. Not only that, but they do also draw a lot of parallels between apples and the, the, yeah. the, fruit, the fruit of knowledge from the Garden of yeah. Eden. It should be noted that that author uh, is kind of a surreal author also, which really kind of goes with the style of the Penguin Drum And uh, Meanwhile, Ringo at the same time has the phonetic sound of the English word ring. And part of the point of the character of Ringo is that she's trying to complete fate as if it's a circle. And uh, one of the larger points is breaking this circle of keeping of keeping fate of keeping fate from happening again. And you're thinking of Miyazawa Kenji, Miyazawa, which one of the major themes of you know Nine on the Galactic Railroad was you know was all about um, was happiness. What is true happiness? Yeah. What should you do to help? Should you help other people? And that was a big thing where, you know, giving themselves to help others, you know, parts of themselves yeah. to... Kind of the exact opposite of all of Ayn Rand's works. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, he was very much the anti-Ayn Rand. Like, he was all about self-sacrifice, yeah. not... Ayn Rand, I said it wrong, Yeah, Ayn Rand, yes, but... but... He is the, he is, it is the anti-Atlas Shrug. That yes. is probably a great way to actually describe it. Like... And, you know, the app, like, at the very beginning of the anime, two little kids are talking about that book, and they're talking about how the apple in that yeah. book represents yeah, being given the whole world. It's, it's like required you... reading in a lot of schools, I think, in Japan. It's yeah. A, he's a seriously well-thought-of author. Um, but, uh, and at the end of the anime, you see the same conversation happening between two kids. Yeah. And it has an entirely new meaning. Uh, another thing that happens, it's... It's hard to determine if it's a symbolic gesture or not, but at one point it depicts uh, it depicts Shoma and uh, Kanba. Yeah, it depicts Shoma and Kanba in two cages, and they're they're evidently um, they're evidently like you know suffering and dying of starvation. Um, they're not actually in the child broiler. I think the parallel that he was attempting to draw at that point was the practice of human trafficking, of selling off children, you know, to wealthy families. Mm -hmm. But uh, these two children were just, like, lost in the shuffle and were now starving. One of them had an apple, and rather than keep the whole apple to himself, Shoma gave his apple... No, it wasn't Shoma, it was actually Kanba gave his apple, gave half of his apple... To Shoma. And then Shoma gave half of that yeah, to, to Himari. Yeah, to Himari to get her out of the child broiler. Like, so they're all sharing the same fate. Yes. Which is now a cursed fate. Yes. Until, you know, Kamba and the Kamba and Shoma give themselves up. Yes. To save both Himari and Ringo. Mm-hmm. And uh, the end of the anime, do- it is a happy ending for... Uh, Ringo and uh, 
for everyone but Kamba and Shoma, pretty yeah, much. For everyone but those two course, characters. With the implication, though, that the two boys at the end might be them reborn. Well, yes, with yes. that implication. Or they might be heading off to heaven or what have you. Yeah. It's sort of ambiguous. My favorite my favorite reference in the whole thing is discovering that Super Frog taste, uh, Saves Tokyo is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's an actual short story in a book. What's so, it about? I never actually. I never looked out. up what, what it's about. I know it's in a book thing called. Uh, it was a collection of stories called um, "After the Quake," which was by a guy who um, he did it after a uh, 1995 earthquake in, in Kobe. Ah. And he also had another book that same year called "Underground," which was interviews and essays about the 1995 gas attacks. Ah. So that is probably another reference to that stuff in 1995. Yes. Well, now let's talk about what the penguin drum actually is. It was neither a penguin nor a drum, first of all. It's an apple. Well, okay. It's it's multiple things, I think. Uh, uh, The director, he kind of likes to taunt his fans. Yeah. Before the penguin, before we actually discovered what the penguin drum was... He told, we were three episodes away from the end of the series, and people were like, you know, frothing, the fans were frothing at the mouth trying to figure out what the penguin drum actually is, and his answer was, it's a pink dishwasher that's for sale at the market that she wanted. (laughs) That's the real penguin drum. They've just gone on this gigantic quest for nothing. It was actually something really simple and mundane. And I actually think that that's a perfectly valid answer. Um, however, I remember a certain point in the series where they do talk, where uh, the Crystal Princess, who we now know is Momoka, does reveal what the Penguin Drum actually is and why she says she thought Ringo might have it. And it kind of relates to this whole, this central theme of needing to be loved by someone, and you should be loved by your parents, but that doesn't always work out. You know, of, of every, of, like, the, the children giving each other the apple, you know, of sharing their fates, of recognizing one another. The big thing that Momoka did was reaching out to these people and saying, you know, you're loved, I don't care what you've got going on. Um, kind of what has happened with Ringo by the start of the series is her mother... Her mother doesn't care about her. Her mother just gets all upset about Ringo, about the baby that she lost, that she's all practically forgotten about the child she, that she has. She sat at Momoka and not really care about Ringo. Yes, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, the fa- and it's upset, it's upset, disrupted the family so much that the father has gone out and has divorced the mother, and he meets and he has met another woman that he's dating, and she has another small child, and he's growing to be incorporated as part of this new family and less a part of, Mom- uh, of Ringo's life. Uh, and as part of him, uh, Himari's backstory, you learn that she had these two friends that she was really close to. Uh, and they were going to audition to be, like, idol singers, but they were, like, elementary school idol singers. But for whatever reason, like, she had to leave school. Mm-hmm before the auditions could actually take place. And the two of them just cut her out of the group and went on. And they're actually the two idols you see in the train station the whole way through. 
um, are her childhood friends, and they've kind of gone on to great things without her and left her behind. Similarly, Ringo has been left behind, and the the penguin drum is actually Momoka's more way of saying, you know, I think when she says, I think Ringo has it, what she's really saying is, go be friends with Ringo. That's really all she's saying. Well, I, I also kind of wonder if she's also, she is referring to the diary at first. Um, and I, I think it's one of my favorite parts of the scene is rewatching the second episode, where she goes, this girl named Ringo has it, probably. <laughs> and, and, and the way she says says it, you real once I rehear it's like, wow, that's such an older that's such an older assembly saying like, yeah, well, Squirt probably has it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, once you realize that the Crystal Princess is Momoka, it becomes blatantly apparent that she is Momoka. <gasps> we should also point out they never actually say Crystal Princess ever. Oh no, in the they the don't. Anime. That... It's like something the production team called her. Yeah, they they had to call her something. You know, when they were talking about her? So they just decided to call her this. But they never actually in the entire anime ever say her name. You know, either Crystal Princess or Momoka or Alien Himari. They never say anything. Like, they never call her by anything. Um, She just is. Yes, but it's kind of understood by the end of the anime that she's at least one half of, of Momoka. But yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to whatever um, Ikahara is doing next. I think the tentative name is uh, Yuri Bearstorm. Uh, but <laughs> there is, it is there's so much potential for that. You know, <laughs> you can really see that Utena was something that Ikahara really wanted to do after he worked on Sailor Moon. Yeah, and that around that same time period is when all this 1995 stuff happened, and it, it obviously really affected him. Yes. And so I really wonder if um, that this was something that he wanted to talk about later on. He just couldn't do it until later. And so I'm really serious what he's what he's done since then. And I think, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, um, I remember reading somewhere about some Twitter posts that Ikahara made. And he was talking about reading books. And he was like, man, I really wish... People would read books because apparently, uh, up until the middle of college, he thought books were for for, for losers. Really? He didn't actually like books until someone handed him this one book and said, "No, read this book." And apparently, it completely changed his life, and he realized how awesome books were. And he wants everyone to one day experience that because books are amazing. And so he's got all these neat thoughts in his brain that I'm sure he's got. And I want him to see more shows, him doing it just to put more of that crap out. I think that's why he, uh, after he finished with Dutena, he went and wrote Shell Bullet and some other stuff was because he felt that right at that, probably at that time, books were more important, that books needed to happen. Yes. And, you know, and now he's back doing anime and thank God for it, but... Well, I'm really excited to see what he does next. You can see how you can see how his love of books is influenced in this anime. Oh yeah, as libraries yeah. are as yeah. part, he references two books very directly. Yeah, this yeah. and also even Utena, there are a lot of outright and oblique literary references. Um, <laughs> Go read a book. <laughs> yeah, 
Like there, are, if you read the right books, there's so much more you get out of the stories. Yeah, well, that's true. Even in English, like if you read the books that people are referencing, if you actually know the source material, a whole bunch of references just make so much more sense. Like, I've actually recently, um, I, for the longest time, I knew about Don Quixote, but I never actually (laughs) read Don Quixote. And then I read it, and I finally understood what the book was actually all about. And now, like, Don Quixote just has, like, this whole different meaning to me than it did before, and it's awesome. So any final thoughts before we start wrapping things up? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. Alright, well let's take another musical break and then we'll come back with our uh, with our patented awesome rating system. Awesome. Penguin, 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 I hope this is not the actual penguin music. I plan to give you the soundtrack, so hopefully we'll get actual soundtracks. Placeholder penguin, penguin music. Well, see, now we're gonna have so many different possible like ending things. That we, I don't know what she's gonna pick now. She's got so many options. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Kevin, how many awesomes out of awesome? Four penguins of awesome. All right. Five, if you count the princess. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more like six? Well, I guess because it's technically now two pieces. Two penguin hats. Yeah, a crap load of penguins. They're awesome. Okay. Penguins are cute. Yeah. How many? Ume. So you're saying eternity out of awesome. Ume. Great. <laughs> oh, fate, right. Great. Ah, there's so many weird moon language words. Ume out of awesome. I was kind of hoping someone would give it so many fabulous maxes out of awesome. But... <laughs> oh yes, it was totally fabulous max. Well, I'm going to give it. I love the word fate. You know how they talk about faded podcasts. Just a single pod can completely change your cast. Such special podcasts are not coincidences. They're definitely fate. Of course, pods is not all happy casts. There are many painful, sad predicaments. It's hard to accept. That misfortunes beyond your podcasts are fate. But I think there's a meaning, no matter how chainsawed or how delayed it may be. Nothing in this podcast is pointless. Because I believe in fate. Out of awesome. We have the same answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of true. (gasps) It's kind of true. So, fine then. I'm going with Fabulous Max out of awesome. Excellent. Fabulous Max. Well, speaking of Fabulous Max, you've gotten at least possibly almost two hours, maybe maybe more's worth. We've done a lot of podcasting on our return trip. Sweet zombie penguin Jesus. I mean, we've done just almost 50 minutes just of spoilers. Yeah. Wow. By, by itself. Well, and that's not completing everything else that we talked about. Well, and, Penguin Drum is amazing and everybody should go see it. Yes, and Sentai's got it. You can get it in two Blu-ray sets. They're about fifty to sixty bucks wherever you, wherever you get it, which means that you probably will spend a hundred and twenty bucks for all of it. But that's twenty-four episodes. That's you know that's not insane. And I have seen occasionally Amazon will run sales where they'll be like forty bucks a box. Uh, anyway, 
a set of at a tw- set of twelve, which is not a unheard of amount. Yes. So I, I think it's totally you know it's certainly readily available. It's readily available. I'm not going to say it's completely affordable, but it's not like. It's not insane. It's not insane. It's no. It's not like a three hundred dollar box set, or which they're out there. People. This this is an uh, Aniplex actually yeah. pricing things. This is you know a reasonable amount to pay for a niche product. The anime is. So, you should go watch it. You should talk about it and convince them to put this on Toonami. Oh, this will never get on Toonami. No, probably not. But you, but, but you say that, but now that's an Adult Swim. Even still, like this yeah, is it's, it's this too, is way too heady. This is it's, yeah. this it's has too, too much meaning. Remember, they, yeah, they thought it's a little too highbrow. Adult Swim thought Rain the Conqueror was deep, so you know you're yeah. right. All right, well, never mind. You're not going to get this on TV, so you better yeah. just buy it. Of course, if you've listened to the spoilers, you probably have already have or seen it somehow. Anyways, if you've seen it and haven't bought it yet, go buy it. it it's 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 fabulous, Max. It is your fate. And it's not a fate you want to deny or set yourself on fire for. The bad idea. So with that... Watch out for penguin hats. Welcome back, <laughs> wonderful, loyal listeners. I'm surprised you're still around, but we're glad you are. And if you're new to this, great. Welcome to welcome to us, too. And with that, we are out. <laughs> It's a thing. Cats, dogs. Yeah. I have a friend to all living creatures, except for geese and possums. What's wrong with geese? I mean, come on. Uh, geese They're are, mean geese and are attack jerks. you. Yeah, geese are jerks.